The Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series has been a favorite of ours for years. The Bathroom Readers Institute, or BRI, seems to produce several volumes a year of materials designed to be amusing, informative, and readable in the relatively short time available to those who are visiting the smallest room in the house. A few months back, we spoke with Gordon Uncle John Javna himself, and we enjoyed ourselves greatly. We asked him to return when the BRI produced a new work, and we're here to do just that today. The latest volume in the series is Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Plunges Into Music, a compilation of tuneful tales that music lovers everywhere are going to want for their own reading room. So returning to talk about his latest effort is Gordon Uncle John Javna. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, sir. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you again. Can we start by talking about some best-selling albums? I remember that Saturday Night uh, Fever was number one back in the 70s, but surprised to learn that, well, among other things, that celebrated movie was just made up. It had nothing to do with the real disco scene. I learned that in your book. Yeah, it was taken from a New York Magazine article, but it turned out it was written by somebody from England who had no knowledge of the disco scene. And in, and we have an article in the uh, new uh, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader plunges into music about how disco was born and how disco died. And for a lot of people, uh, a lot of music historians believe that Saturday Night Fever, because it was so big, it's because it's so, uh, such a popular movie and sold so many singles. Do we still have singles? Yeah, I guess we still have singles. But <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure listeners would know what a single is. Uh, but there's so many hit songs from that album and uh, that it really typecast disco and you know how uh, commercial things work when when there's one thing that's really popular everybody wants to do it and so soon you had everybody doing disco music including mickey mouse i mean there was a mickey <laughs> Di- you know yeah. disney disco um and a lot of music historians think that's that's sort of what killed disco there are some other theories uh, including the disco what is it disco demolition night in, in <laughs> at uh, comiskey stadium in chicago where uh, you know because when something is popular the other other response is that there's a backlash people start saying you know well I don't like it and then that voice gets a little louder when it becomes more popular and that was sort of a whole disco sucks movement culminating in the uh, disco demolition at Chicago's Comiskey Park yeah tell tell that story that's quite a good story I can't remember what year it was late 70s probably the, this uh, D- DJ in Chicago named Steve Dahl arranged with the uh, people at at the Chicago White Sox that if people brought a um, or disco record they got reduced uh, admission to the to the ball game and the they what they were going to do is blow them all up blow up, put all the records in a pile and blow them all up and it created pandemonium and uh, and that a lot of people actually did it. It's, it's quite a go- it was quite a goof. They didn't know it was going to, was going to, you should pardon the expression, backfire. Well, they, they actually apparently, I guess, blew a crater out in the outfield and the White Sox had to forfeit the next game. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite a disaster. <laughs> and, uh, and some people point to that as the, the final blow to disco. But, you know, some of the disco artists like Donna Summer really feel that, that it was, uh, too popular, and, and there, some people even have a racial uh, take on it. Yeah, you, ha- you have a subplot on this. Some people don't think disco died. They think it was murdered. It is a conspiracy theory. Some of the disco artists think that, that the uh, white establishment actually uh, killed it uh, intentionally. Because, But that doesn't make very much sense. Uh, uh, and, in fact, there's a question about whether it actually even died, because techno music is definitely an outgrowth of it, and the style of disco music has never really gone away. It's yeah. The clubs, the discos, you know, it's still very popular. Just just called dance music now. Yeah. Yes, 
correct. Well, one section in the book lists some uh, some big hits that were covers of songs that previously had gone nowhere, which I thought was kind of intriguing. George Harrison did uh, Got My Mind Set on You. Uh, yeah. And, and I guess uh, Three Dog Night, Mama Told Me Not to Come, was actually a Randy Newman song. Right. Uh, and, and the big one is uh, Respect, Aretha Franklin's big hit, which was actually a cover of an Otis Redding song. And Otis's song didn't go anywhere, but, but Aretha sure did. Yeah, her signature song at this point. It is. There's so many entertaining little little tidbits in in, in all of your books. Uh, one of them I, I was I was had to laugh at was uh, the fact that a boy named Sue was actually written by Playboy magazine humorist Shel Silverstein when he was reading about the Scopes Monkey Trial of all things. He wrote the song on the Columbia Records, then gave it to, to Johnny Cash to use. <laughs> Unlikely song, but sometimes that's you know it, it, that's sort of a crossover. It's a novelty song, but it's also. It was a big country, big country hit, which he performed, I think, for the first time at uh, at Folsom Prison. Yeah. Or was it San Quentin? I can't remember. Yeah. One of the yeah. prison albums, and uh, and he had to read it he because was reading the lyrics. Yeah, he didn't know the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I love that story. They um, dubbed in the uh, some of the cheers. Yeah, and I guess they you, you reveal the fact that, that they didn't actually cheer when he said he shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. That they added that in later. They added that in, and that that made some people very very angry. Yeah. But yes, you will find lots of behind the hits kinds of things like that in in this new book. But you know what else we did uh, in this that's kind of fun is uh, we went sort of to the periphery of of music. We looked at things like uh, medical conditions that uh, that are unique to musicians, such as uh, fiddler's neck, <laughs> which is a, so they get a leathery fiddlers get a leathery patch of skin from playing from holding the violin there sure. too many times, or guitar nipple. Which is uh, same same kind of thing, uh, tuba lips or bagpipers fungus. I Who knew? <laughs> Actually, I miss, I missed that part about bagpipers fungus. How does that happen? Well, because bagpipes are made of sheepskin coated with uh, treacle, which is something made from molasses. It's a gr- breeding ground for various fungi. One is called Cryptococcus, and the other is called Aspergillus yeah. or Aspergillus, yeah. and. Um, because uh, they, the bagpipers can inhale these spores, sometimes they, they get a uh, deadly lung disease. It can even go to their brain and kill them. Wow. Do you play the bagpipe? I certainly do not. And okay. I-, <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you were, uh, uh-oh. Well, no, I, I was intrigued by numerous of the, the, the cutting remarks you had about various instruments. I didn't recall any jokes about the bagpipes, but I did like things like, uh, what's the difference between an accordion and an onion? Well, no one cries when you chop up an accordion. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, we do have a few musician jokes in there, including uh, what do you get when you uh, play New Age music backwards? Well, oddly enough. New Age music. No, there, there's there's quite a few uh, there's quite a few memorable lines. What's the difference between a lead guitarist and a a, a, a large pizza? Well, a, a large pizza can actually feed a family of four. That was another one. <laughs> the one I liked. You also have a chapter titled "Failed Comebacks," detailing the the failure of Michael Jackson uh, to to basically revive his career, which was flagging by hiring a British film crew. You know that instead of lionizing the singer. The film made Jackson look alarmingly weird, and the documentary Living with Michael Jackson depicted, among other things, his dangling the baby off a balcony, admitting to sleeping in beds with children, and, and really, well, this, as, as the book describes, led to his arrest on, on child abuse charges. Yeah. That's a pretty spectacular failure to come back. Poor Michael. <laughs> he tried so hard. But, you know, you can't feel too sorry for him because he had such incredible success with, with some of his earlier albums and you can't blame them for wanting to come back either we have some other uh cool uh i think we call it the reunion knots 
actually. The other uh, bands that, that uh, got back together, or try almost got back together, and, and one of my favorites is just the fact that uh, ABBA was offered a yes. billion yes. dollars to reunite for a 100-day concert tour and turned it down. I, I did want to ask you about that. I thought that was just absolutely startling. Yeah, I, I, that's... <laughs> I, I remember uh, way back when hearing that uh, when, when uh, John Lee Hooker, the, the famous blues uh, guitar player, heard that Jimi Hendrix was getting, I think it was $25,000 a night to perform, he said, man, I'd crawl inside the guitar for $25,000. <laughs> well, that's how I feel about a billion dollars for a concert tour. Yeah, I mean, they, they said that their attitude was, how could we be what we once were? I mean, after, after Mamma Mia came out and all their music was a hit again, they, they sensibly just, you know. Cash the checks. Oh, there's another thing about the Beatles. Yes, tell that story. Lorne Michaels appeared on Saturday Night Live in 1976, and he said, he said if, if the, all four Beatles appeared on his show, he'd give, he'd give them $3,000 to split four ways. And then he said, you can divide it up any way you want. If you want to give less to Ringo, that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember so well when he did that. It was a great joke, but you tell that in the book... It almost happened. John Lennon and Paul McCartney were watching the show in New York City and thought about heading down to Rockefeller Center while the taping was still going on. Yes, yes, and then they decided not to. Too bad. I think that was the, that was the show in which he upped the offer to $3,200. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, you know, you met, we met, talked about Michael Jackson. Apparently, um, he's now number two on the all-time list of, of, of greatest hits albums uh, with, with Thriller. But uh, number one, The Eagles, their greatest hits. I think that's their popularity is only helped by that recent uh, album that they did at one one of the major stores. It, it, it was a, it was primarily through their last, their reunion album. But yes, yeah, yeah. the greatest hits album is the biggest of all. Yeah, time. and it's kind of funny of the, the list. The top five, uh, rounding out the other ones: Pink Floyd, The Wall, number three; Led Zeppelin, four at fourth; and Billy Joel's Greatest Hits at number five, ahead of ahead of the Beatles or Rolling Stones. Go figure. We have the Elvis by the Numbers, which is one of my favorites. Uh, let's see, what do we have? Elvis's waistline in the in the 50s, <laughs> 32 inches. His waistline in the 70s, 44 inches. <laughs> okay, we have to talk about, th this is one of the truly hilarious parts of your book. Uh, you have a chapter titled The Elvis Movie Generator, which is b based on the 31 Elvis films that were actually made. And, and you had, uh, I, I just love your advice in the title. You suggested combining girls, love, rock, a city or state with some rhyming words and an exclamation point, possibly. And you gave actual examples of that darn girl, what a night, exclamation point, too many bikinis, aloha, Mexico, howdy, Denver, also with an exclamation point, so many girls, so little time, and my personal favorite Elvis film title, wackity schmackity. <laughs> oh, we, we had so much fun uh, with that. I mean... I always tell people that this, uh, I have a fantastic job because we get to laugh all the time putting these things together. But we—that was a particularly hilarious moment when we were coming up with with the names, and and you could keep going forever. It's just no, it, there's no, uh, there's no end to it except for the fact that they're never going to be made because. Well, yeah, but but you're, you're the, even 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 topping that was your create a plot for an Elvis movie. That was just that's a classic. Yes. Well, we have those moments of of hilarity here at the Bathroom Readers Institute. We're speaking with Gordon Uncle John Javna about the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader's latest effort, uh, which is titled Plunges Into Music. 
I love your, your chapter you had on birth of a genre. You explain how people like Dick Dale for surf music, James Brown for funk, Enrico Morricone uh, for what you describe as spaghetti western music. It is quite startling to imagine that really one or two people can get a genre started. Yeah, uh, Morricone is fascinating because he wrote all those uh, the, the music for you know the good, bad, and the ugly, and all of those uh, those uh, Clint Eastwood uh, spaghetti westerns. And he really changed um, he really changed. Uh, soundtrack, the writing of soundtracks. And James Brown is funk. Dick Dale, um, he was surf music. I mean, he was he was doing it by by himself. All of the other music, musicians who played that kind of music after that came came just out of Dick Dale's uh, what what he started. Let's see. How about these these uh, crazy duos that we found? Oh yeah, yeah. Please, please talk a little bit about Ozzy Osbourne and Miss Piggy. Yeah, that's yeah. On the. <laughs> On, on his 2005 album, Prince of Darkness, Ozzy does a version of uh, Steppenwolf's song, Born to be Wild, as a duet with Miss Piggy. <laughs> Excerpt. I like smoke and lightning, says, says Osborne. And Miss Piggy squeals, oh, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even, even perhaps stranger, you describe something that I saw when I was at the Museum of Television and Radio, the duet between David Bowie and Bing Crosby on Bing Crosby's oh, yeah. Christmas special. You describe it, their duet of A Little Drummer Boy, as slightly creepy, which is really how I reacted when I saw it. Well, you know, and that was toward the end of Crosby's life, and, uh, you know, he was already well into Toupeville, <laughs> and, and so he looks sort of drawn, and then you have this strange character, Ziggy Stardust uh, character next to him, although he wasn't painted like, like Ziggy Stardust, but it was still, it was very creepy, I thought. And, and one of my favorites on that same thing is Dusty Springfield performing with Jimi Hendrix. It was on BBC show. Uh-huh. They sang Mockingbird, and you can actually find it on YouTube. Wow. It's not the whole thing. Most of the tape was lost, but there's yeah. a little bit of it left. That's probably worth looking up. Another funny moment, you list uh, some concept albums, which unlike, say, the Who's Tommy or, or, or Pink Floyd's The Wall, didn't quite make it. And, and there was one that I, I just was sort of jaw-dropping. A concept album by Rock Plaza Central, Are We Not Horses, where the plot involves robot horses who think they're real, but slowly come to the realization that they are, in fact, robot horses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we didn't invent these folks. These are... Right. These are these are real. I mean, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer did Tarkas. That's not uh, so obscure, but it is kind of weird about uh, tar Tarkas is a half armadillo, half tank robot who battles with a lion, scorpion, human hybrid named Manticore. So, and Manticore rides around on an electric pterodactyl. And this is music. You think some some of these inspirations probably are from something stronger than a cocktail? One suspects. <laughs> Well, it was the thing then, you know. Everybody was trying to come up with a with a uh, a concept that would that would take them to number one. Yeah, didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. It wasn't that. What they forgot was it was the music, not the concept, that, that made it work. Yeah, in one chapter, I I really enjoyed because before I went to kindergarten, I actually remember Liberace's television show back in the late fifties. Uh, you note how. How he became this huge success, really, I mean, it's easy to underestimate him for, for all the glitter and things, but he was a talented musician, he found a niche, and he just filled it with, uh, you know, something no one had ever done before. And he was hugely popular in his day. I mean, he, he went through a, a period where he was not popular, but in the late 50s, he was very popular, and then he sort of dropped out of sight and came back all glitter at the end. But, um, I mean, as far as uh, on TV and records and uh, 
personal appearance. He was huge. You know, and that's a good point of this book, uh, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Plunges Into Music. It's not just rock music. It's not just pop, or we have lots of country music, too, but it's not just that. We, we sort of wanted to see what else there was out there, and so we do have something on Liberace. There were, you know, music snobs who might say, uh, well, that doesn't belong in a book of music, and we disagree. We think it really does. We have another bit on, a piece on uh, Lawrence Welk. Yeah. Because Lawrence Welk was incredibly popular in his day, and and you know when we put the book together, I, w- I wanted to know why. Why is why was he so popular? And we we found out he was an incredible hard worker and uh, and exploited, as you said with Liberace, exploited a, a little niche that uh, and and turned it into a huge success. And uh, he actually had a number one hit record in the '60s. Bet you didn't know that. Uh yeah, what was that? Oh, that was Calcutta. Yeah, that's right, right. We we also have the the origins of some dances, the twist and the polka and the and the waltz and a few others. And you know, I was shocked to read last night as I did, and I did not know this, that Chubby Checker's name was was a playoff of Fats Domino. Fats became Chubby and Domino became Checkers. <laughs> yeah. And his his real name is what? Ernest Evans. Yeah. I actually talked to him way back uh, in the in the early '80s, because uh, I was I had a book called '60s at the time, and, and that I was researching, and uh, he he said when we told him we were writing a book, he he said, you know what, I always wanted to write a cookbook. He said I've lost more weight than anybody on on the planet, I've gained it back, and I said I I could write a good cookbook. We never did that book. Well, you know, you do have a chapter on opera too. If we're going to talk about it, it certainly is not all rock. You had some the history of opera and. Uh, and actually, some some actually at least one. I have to use one of these great opera quotes you have. Rossini said, "One can't judge Wagner's opera Lohengrin after a first hearing, and I certainly don't intend hearing it a second time." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I share his his sentiment. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not a big opera fan, but um, we felt that you know there ought to be a little bit of classical and, and uh, music in here, and so we found some topics, including the, uh, an opera topic. You might call this an opera topic about the castrati. Yeah. Who uh, I don't know if all listeners know who that they were, but they were young boys who sang like uh, sang soprano, and in order to uh, to keep them sounding uh, so, uh, singing as sopranos, they uh, performed surgery on on them, and yes. Uh, and we call this article the other sopranos. <laughs> made made them made them eunuchs. Made them eunuchs, yes. And and uh, but it's not so. Uh, they were incredibly popular in their day. I mean, popular as in rock star popular. Uh, the last Castrati died in uh, in the in the 20th century, so it's not all that long ago. So it's, an, it's just fascinating, weird uh, aspect of music. Plunges into music actually does attempt to answer some burning musical questions, or at least get them close to them. Let's just kind of close with a couple of those. Uh, uh, you suspect we may we may actually finally get to know who's so vain in that Carly Simon hit. There's uh, lots of speculation over the years. We call that article, Was John Fogarty Ever Really Stuck in Lodi? But uh, you're so vain. Well, the, the, lots of people have been suspected as being the, the person about whom Carly Simon was singing. Chris uh, Christopherson, Warren Beatty, Mick Jagger even, who, who actually sang on the song. Uh, and uh, even her... Ex-husband uh, James Taylor. Will we ever find out? Maybe, maybe not. But in 2003, uh, Carly Simon donated a dinner date. That was her contribution, uh, and she promised to tell the answer to the question, "Who's so vain?" Uh, th- who won the auction was uh, 
NBC executive Dick Ebersole, who bid $50,000, but he was sworn to keep the name secret. He was allowed to give out one clue, which he said uh, the person's name contains the letter E. That could be anybody. A year later, Carly Simon added the letter A, so that yeah. could be anybody. That, could, that eliminated Chris Christopherson. It eliminated her former fiancé, William Donaldson, and it eliminated James Taylor but not Mick Jagger or Warren Beatty. I always heard it was Warren Beatty. Yeah, I heard it was Warren Beatty, too. And apparently John Fogarty probably never really was stuck in Lodi. No, he probably never was. <laughs> but in fact, there was a question whether he'd even been to Lodi. Uh, Lodi, California, that is. I'm from New Jersey originally, and we have a Lodi there as well. And people don't realize the band actually came from El Cerrito, which is near Berkeley in the Bay Area. Yeah. yeah. My, my favorite one in this, in this article is the song I've Been Everywhere, which most people would have known from a Johnny Cash song. It was made a big hit uh, in the 60s by Hank Snow, later covered by Johnny Cash, used in many commercials, and recently even. And the song says, I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, and so on. Uh, but the song was originally an Australian song. And that I didn't know that. I thought that was fascinating. The original version mentions all different places in Australia. One thing we didn't touch upon, people need to read about, I think, is how retailers pipe music into stores to get us to buy more stuff. Mm. If you've got a final half a minute on that one, we might want to just hit it. No, I'd rather tell you something that you didn't know. Okay. Did you know that Ross Perot plays the accordion? I did not. <laughs> did you know that, that the bagpipe is actually mentioned in the Bible? I didn't know that either. And I read the book, and I missed both those. <laughs> did, did you know? Do you know who Al Devoren is? No. Who is he? He's the man who said Elvis has left the building. <laughs> well, I think there's another great quote from Colonel Tom Parker that said, "Before uh, before Elvis met me, he had a million dollars worth of talent. After he met me, he had a million dollars." There you go. <laughs> and who are William, Saul, Jeffrey, and Mike? I don't know. They are Axel, Slash, Izzy, and Duff of Guns N' Roses. Again, there's just it's like we need hours to go through what's in this book, so I think people need to probably go out and snag one. Available at fine bookstores <laughs> near you. And in parting, I want to give you one final quote, perhaps for a future edition, talking again about opera. Uh, my Australian girlfriend, when I, when I said uh, about 20 years ago to her, you know, I've, I've never been to an opera. There was a pause. She looked at me, sighed, and said, I wish I could say that. <laughs> That's great. Gordon, Uncle John That's Jabna, good. thank you for speaking with us, and we wish the best to the Bathroom Readers Institute and look forward to future volumes of what you guys uh, continue to put out. Fine work. Thank you very much, Douglas. All right. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about.